don't get the opportunity to sit down with you guys one on one as much as I'd like to. No. You'd like to be call every once in a while, but that's it. But um, I kind of want to sit down with you as um, we've sat down with Nick and I've already sat down with mom and dad. Um, just knock out the whole family. Saving the best for last. Saving the best for last. I knew it. <laughs> we don't tell Nick they won't listen to this, I bet. Um, Put that as your caption. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Saving the best for last. <laughs> Um, so I'm here with my sister, Rebecca Ann Kuhn Stout. Do you do that? Is it no, Stout? it's got Stout. Of, you just got rid of Kuhn's? Yeah. And Everyone kept calling me Kuhn's, and I'm like, that's not my name. Yeah, it's Stout. Stout's a lot easier. Even now, people still have a hard time spelling it. I'm like... Kuhn's? Stout. Oh, Stout. And I'm like, that's, how do you mess up Stout? <laughs> it's like the teapot. Yeah. Short and Stout. <laughs> Is there any other way to spell it? Yeah, people throw a D in there. Stout? Stouted. Stouted. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Whatever. So, Becca Stout. How long ago, how long ago were you married? We're coming up on five years. Five years. This next year. This next May is five years. Nice. And you love that. Tyler's great. Mm-hmm. What a sweetheart he is. The sweetest. <laughs> all right. Um, so... Like I said, I'm kind of going through all of our immediate family, just talking about life and things like that and our relationship. And um, I don't know if you listened to the podcast with Nick. I did. Um, I mentioned to Nick that, like, as much as I love you and mom and dad, the relationship that I have with Nick has really been one of the most important relationships um, in the last five years, just because of the journey mm-hmm. that we have taken. Um, and then, you know me. I'm a mama's boy, so Hard. hardcore mama's boy, and me and dad get along, and so I kind of, not necessarily went in order of importance or anything like that, but I always felt that you and I have had a pretty solid relationship. We're pretty low maintenance. Yeah, I feel like you and I have just, we're close in age, we were close in grade, we had some similar friends throughout the years. Similar hobbies. Similar hobbies, so like it just kind of... You and I were pretty just kind of go with the flow kind of deal all growing up. Um, would you would you agree with that? Just yeah, yeah. I, I just would, yeah. Figure we you know we played soccer at the same time. We were playing basketball, starting playing basketball at the same time. We, you know, mom and dad were, were dad was our father, so naturally we were into like superheroes and stuff all yes. at the same time. So stuff like that, which in a sense is I think why like our relationship is so good like mm-hmm. i feel like if there was any if there's a gap like me and nick um or you and nick like that's that age gap is a lot harder for us to kind of have a lot in common or get along with one another stuff like that see and it's a lot easier now that he's older yeah i agree but like when we were young growing up i was 10 and he was five and there's not much that you can do together <laughs> right yeah with 10 and five yeah so um, one of the things that I really wanted to kind of get your side on is if you listened to it with Nick and you kind of heard how Nick and I have rebuilt our relationship, um, how, if you don't mind diving into it, how do you, how would, how did you and Nick, um, kind of repair and build that relationship over the last four or five years? So it's kind of funny, a little bit sad <laughs> because I didn't think we had a bad relationship Agreed. Growing up. Yeah. And then he went to Sheridan 
and he came home on a vacation once. And he's like, Becca, I don't know why I ever thought you were pathetic. And I was like, what? <laughs> when did you think I was pathetic? And he's like, you went to school in Rock Springs and you came home every weekend. I could not get rid of you. I thought you were so pathetic. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought it was cool to see you. So. <laughs> and he's like, I just get it now. Family makes life easier. And I'm like, yeah, it does. And he's like, ah, I just am so sorry about all of those things I said about you and, and all of the bad feelings I had towards you. And I was like, what kind of things did you say about me? And uh, so after that, I was like a lot more mindful and I think more intentional with my interactions with Nick. Um, but I think since then, it's now that Tyler and I are married, Tyler and Nick, I think, have a better relationship than Nick and I do. They'll call each other and talk about books or Pokemon or whatever, whatever nerdy <laughs> boy thing they're into at that time. That's Football. Funny. But. I think it, it's just a lot easier now. We're, mm -hmm. like, finally at the same stage of life. Because, um, like, I was in high school. He was in elementary school, middle school. Which is hard. Yeah. There's just yeah. different things that are happening. He made a he made a comment um, to me about how he, when we were younger, you know, as the oldest, um, he always felt like, you know, you would pick on me and Becca would just let it go. And Becca was the oldest and I always thought that she was there to protect me and... There was that dilemma, and I said, oh, well, I mean, that makes sense. Um, but really, me growing up, I mean, I didn't get messed with a ton because people knew who you were. Do you remember Jimmy? I, that's what I was going to bring up. <laughs> Jimmy, there was this kid in, I was in fourth or fifth you, grade. No, you were fourth grade because I was in fifth. It was and right before Jimmy was your age, mm -hmm. and Jimmy feared you. I don't know if he feared you before, but he feared you definitely after he started messing with me. But I remember we were, you know, just elementary school, just me minding my own business, and Jimmy just, we were playing soccer or something like that, and he just kept tripping me or whatever it was. And I finally, I just said, you know, that Jimmy kid, he's something out there. And you're like, well, what did Jimmy do? And I said, well, he kept pushing me and tripping me, and then you're like, come with me. And I'm like, okay. okay. And I just followed you on the playground, and I don't remember if you beat the living hell out of him or not. I definitely did. But I just know that Jimmy did not mess with me ever again. <laughs> I definitely did. And I didn't even get in trouble for it. The principal and I were pretty good friends because I'm a nerd and whatever. Right. But uh, I just told her, and I'm like, look, he is being mean to my brother, and he's bullying him, and I'm not going to stand for it. Yeah. And the principal's like, okay. Cool. And then Jimmy, I think he got suspended. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, I didn't and I didn't get anything. <laughs> that was at Emory and we went to Bonaterra. Mm -hmm. And then there were just kind of some hot shots there that I was always like, Becca, these people are the worst. And you're like, I got this. And like <laughs> I you got this. and you were like you were like for me, it was more of I was more of the one I'm like, okay, Becca might be protecting me a little too much. Like, I think I can do this. <laughs> okay, Becca, yeah, back I'm off. Like, back up. I can do this, I promise. And then I couldn't do it. I'd be like, hey, Becca, let's do this. Like, step up. What are you doing? Why are you just letting them beat me up? So, I got a very different, but again, that's an age thing, I feel like. Well, and I think, I was listening to your guys' podcast, and I remember that time very differently. I do too. Than you guys. And I think because I was older, mom... Like, I remember mom being sick in California. Mm -hmm. And it 
was really weird because some days we'd have someone from the ward pick us up from school or like a friend would like David's mom would bring us home um and mom would just be like laying down on the couch and she's like out of commission and so it was like up to me to make sure you guys got your homework done Right. Make sure we had something for dinner, make sure our chores got done. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like I had to step into that mom role. Early. A little bit earlier. Um, and that's not to say anything bad about mom. It no. was just she was sick and we didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and I, I mean, we talked about this. I talked about it with mom and dad. His mom just, mom looks back on it now and realizes, like, I just wasn't in a position that I, I just had these unresolved things that happened and like now looking back on it I realized that but in the moment I didn't and so mm-hmm. I don't think she necessarily you know when we say these kind of things I don't think she necessarily like oh you know I'm a bad mom about it she realized it and she's like look like I did the best I could with what was given to me yeah and no she really did though yeah. and I love a lot of people because I study families and trauma and all of that and a lot of the people that are like, what's your why? Why did you get into this work? Because you just, you don't get paid a lot of money. Right. And it's kind of crappy work because you get to deal with everybody's crap and help them turn it into not crap. Mm-hmm. But mom is my why because she went through so much trauma, so much abuse, and she made a life for herself. And she broke that cycle Bro- of abuse. Mm-hmm. And I look back and, like, after my time at the boys' home... And seeing the cycle and how hard it is for those boys to get out, it just, like, made my respect for mom that much bigger. Because I'm just like, it takes such inner strength to tell yourself that you deserve more than that life and to go out and find it. Yeah. And was our childhood perfect? No. There are still, like, as I went through school, I found, like, oh... That's not normal. That's a result of her trauma. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. She mentioned the story of, like, us as kids would see the neighborhood kids playing out in a balcony. And the we were watching from the gate. And, like, for me, I never thought that I was like, I wish I could be down there. It was just kind of like, oh, they're playing. And me and my sister I and brother are playing. I'm like, cool, guys. Have fun. And like, I never thought of it like, I should be out there with the other kids. I never really thought that. And then, you know, mom told me, and I'm like, yeah, we should have been out there playing. Like, yeah. why? When your we? first time playing outside is when you're in the fourth grade, it's not normal. Right. <laughs> That's not a normal yeah. childhood. And so, but, you know, along with, you know, you remembering mom, mom being sick, um, you, mom, and Nick all have the same condition, the yeah. hemiplegic migraines. Um, you, we are fairly certain that the beginning of it is from concussions or some head trauma they actually have new studies that show that head trauma is related to the onset is it? Mm-hmm. so uh mom took a spill at my baseball game head first yes. pretty bad and that's when the problem started to really kick in um nick has had concussion on concussion on concussion and which you know led to where he's at now and you you took a pretty bad i don't know if it was a head-to-head collision it was or... head to ground yeah, so in, they, in like, soccer... They, took my legs out from under me and I landed on top of my head. Uh, your senior year in... Uh, Rock, Rock Springs? Springs? Rock Springs. Rock bottom. Yes. And um, at the time, you, you finished... You hurt your head in Rock Springs. You faked the concussion test and got through it. You pretty much 
Yeah. Which, I mean, if you can outsmart the concussion test, I think you're good. But you obviously weren't 100%. <laughs> I was not ready. Um, you went out, played on it. Um, everything was kind of fine. And then you got called to server mission in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it is humid. Humid. It's all get out yeah. there. And humidity and the changing of temperatures. And there's a lot of triggers to it, but that was one of your big that's ones. That's one of my big ones, yeah. And that's when all of it really started. Right. And you ended up serving how long? Of your 18 months, you served... 11 months and two weeks. 11 months and two weeks. They sent me home two weeks before my year mark. Yeah. And I was so mad. Um, now, I, I kind of want to... First, talk about that experience of of you going through these health issues not at home. You know, mom had mom when she started having these problems. She had a unit behind her. She had her kids, and she had her and she had dad, and she even had grandma and grandpa Coons and Lobdell being there to be some sort of support. Um, you were essentially by yourself. You had companions, and you had your mission president, whatever it is, but they didn't. They weren't aware of that situation. So tell me a little bit about that. How how did that affect you while you were out on your mission? I think the hardest part was having leaders, whether they were sister training leaders or my mission president, thinking that I was faking it. And that is not who I am. Yeah, like, that's not who we there, are. There are people that were in the mission field who didn't want to be there. And they were there for whatever reason, like their family wanted them there. Whatever. But I was there, and I was ready to work, and I loved it. And these weird things kept happening. Like, I had all of this swelling and, like, lumps and weakness. And I, at the back of my head, I think I always knew that it was HM. And I was trying to find another reason as to why my body would be acting the way it was. Because I saw what mom went through, and I didn't want that life. Yeah. Um, I didn't want it. <laughs> But having people think that you're faking it really sucks. And that was hard for me. Um, The second part was like having it slowly happen. And the worse the symptoms got, the more I realized that it was HM. And this is what my life was going to be. And coming to terms with that. And like spontaneous paralysis and and pain and all of that sucked as well. Mm-hmm. Like I'm laying in bed, there's no TV. Like you're you've been on a mission. Yeah. Like you don't have any yeah. social media. Mm-hmm. Well, we did, but we couldn't use it. Visually, yeah. And so I like we had this stack of DVDs, like the church, the church DVDs that yeah. you like give out. So I, I swear, I watched Families Can Be Together Forever, like, <laughs> like 20 that. times yeah. in eight different languages. Yeah. But, like, you're bored, and I want to be out there, and I want to be working, and I physically can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. But then you have a companion who sees you and sees that there's nothing wrong with you on the outside. They're like, oh, she's faking because she doesn't want to go work. Right. And that, that sucked. Um, but my mission president was pretty cool in the fact that he let me call home and I just told mom and dad, I'm like, look, this is what I'm having like issues with. I really think that this is what's going to happen. And mom and dad were able to advocate for me to be able to go into Chicago and go to the 
um, neurology department in Chicago. Fun fact, they've never heard of HM there, so they're like, you should really go see your mom's neurologist, which is why I got sent home. Right. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I had gotten home about five or six months before you end up coming home. Oh so my gosh, yes. There was five or six months where I was hit by a car, I tore my ACL, I tore my labrum on my, on my right shoulder, um, and you're hearing all this news from emails. You're not. I really fun. thought you died because they just stopped communicating yeah, to me. I'm like, yeah. what the hell happened? Yeah, and I remember. Is he alive or did he die? I remember I came back from a, either a physical therapy or a orthopedic appointment, and Dad's like, "Yeah, okay, give me a second. Yeah, it's. Hold on. Here he is. I'm like, and he would give me the phone. I'm like, okay, whatever. Thinking it's my mission president of the church, and then I hear, and I go. Becca? And you're like, oh, you're okay. I'm like, why are you crying? You're like, I thought you were dead. And I'm like, who told you I was dead? You're like, no one told me anything. So I thought you died. And I'm like, well, that's a jump. And I can only imagine having all of that and then the added stress of not knowing what your brother's going through back home, hundreds of miles away. Like, not knowing that, which is an added stress on top, which can also be a trigger for that. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that was also fairly tough for you to kind of cope with in that situation where you're trying to deal with your problems and then you're also trying to make sure I'm okay and like that fine balance. Um, we were actually at a zone conference that day that I called you. Oh, and really? yeah, so we're sitting in the stake center we have internet access. So I've been, I was trying to email mom and dad and they would email me back. It was kind of like texting. So it was kind of cool. Right. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't get messages back from either of them. And mom's like, she'll send me one email a week if she remembers. Right. But dad always messaged me back. Yeah. And then it stopped. And I'm like, there's something they're not telling me. Mm -hmm. I bet you he died. And it was like that. It was that quick. <laughs> and then I just started freaking out. And Rissa was my companion at the time. And I was... The zone conference had ended... And all the elders were like breaking down tables and breaking, like putting the chairs away. And you were breaking down and emotionally. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but I was carrying like six chairs to go put them away. And President Fenn was like, Sister Coons, you let the elders do that. You can go and get ready to leave with your companion. I'm like, no, I need to work. <laughs> and the mission president was like, what? And bless President Fenn's heart. Bless his heart. But, uh... I snapped at him pretty good, and he's like, he looks at Rissa and he's like, is everything okay? And Rissa's like, her brother was in a car accident and she hasn't heard anything. And he's like, oh, okay. Sister Coons, come with me. And I'm like, nope, I gotta put these chairs away. I gotta put this table away. I got work to do. Right. And he's like, Sister Coons, President Fenn is big dude. He's like 6'5". <laughs> And booming voice. And he's like, Sister Coons, come with me. I'm like, okay. And I just start crying. <laughs> I'm just like, uncontrolled. <laughs> and uh, then he let me call you and then everything was fine. Yeah. So it was good. So you was stressful. Yeah. That's, that's, I can, I can vouch for, it was stressful for me. I can only imagine not knowing anything about your brother would be. That. Bro, definitely getting hit by a car is worse than not knowing if your brother's okay. <laughs> so, so, don't take that away from I, yourself. So, you, you come home. 
Um, what, two questions. What is your feelings and your experience when you first come home? I was like really pissed off. I was angry at God. I was angry at my mission president. I was angry at the sister training leaders. I was just angry. And I was angry for a long, long time. Probably like six months. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I wanted anything to do with the church at that time. And it was just like, I was living my life in the way that God wanted me to. So why would this happen to me? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Why, if serving a mission is a righteous desire, then why did I get sent home? Right. Why do I have HM? All of these things. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was, I was probably home for about six months and I just finally knelt down and prayed and I just wanted to feel grateful for something. And in that moment, <laughs> a cow, like a picture of a cow popped into my head and I started laughing as I'm kneeling, praying to be grateful for something. And so as you know, I love cows, yeah. and that is why. Um, it was just one of those silly things that I knew God was listening to me, and I didn't necessarily understand why it happened to me, but I knew that He loved me, and He was aware. And I think that's when I was able to finally like let the anger go mm-hmm. and really come back. Yeah. I mean, I remember coming home feeling very go go get them mm-hmm. I'm like I'm home I'm gonna get my surgeries head back out and you know dad picked me up and we didn't even leave the airport parking lot yet he goes I want you to I want you this is gonna be a serious talk and then we can talk about whatever but I want you to understand right now in this car that there is a chance you don't go back on your mission and I go ah don't like that's just he goes no 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 you need to understand that like, this is something that is a reality. You may not be able to go back on your mission. I said, I get it. I know. I don't want to think about it, but I understand that that's a possibility. I don't, I just, I, I'm feeling very optimistic about it, and I want to stay that way, and let, and he goes, okay, but I'm just letting you know. And I was, I was mad for a long time, because you're, not to, not to take away from HM, but HM is a genetic thing, right? Mm-hmm. And there were the, there was the, cause of it and you can kind of go back to okay I hit my head and it happens and and there's kind of an explanation a little bit behind it um, whereas me it getting was, hit by a car it, you don't choose that I don't yeah I didn't I didn't be like there it is and I jump in front of it like somebody chose to be stupid in that moment and I paid the price for it yeah and I was very optimistic I was hopeful and then about I had my knee surgery first and then about a week into that knee surgery, I that's where the anger and the frustration set in. And that set in until about the time I I was still mad when you got back. I was still mad at the whole situation. I was trying to be a good sport about it. And, um, and then I really didn't fully understand everything until later into school. Um, but I do remember, I don't know if you do, but... You and I would go on drives, and you would drive me around, and we would talk about our frustrations and about it sucks being home. And you know, we had that shared experience that yeah. we had to come home early. We had no choice; like it had to be done, and it had to be that way. And 
And I feel like, and chime in as to share with your experience, but I feel like that was you and I coming home around that same time and experiencing that together. I feel like I couldn't have done it without you. I definitely couldn't have done it without you. And like I, knowing someone that very very close to me shared this experience, and they knew what I was feeling. They knew that it, there was no control in this. They knew that I didn't make the decision to leave. Like they knew that was the problem, but people around us didn't know that. They didn't know. Well, he could have gotten, you know, Ben could have gotten surgery on his mission and could have done all the surgery, done physical therapy on yeah. the field, and they could have been fine. Becca could have seen a neurologist in Chicago, and like they don't know what we went through. Yeah. And having that, even mom and dad, they they've never never in that experience. You know, dad served, mom did serve a mission, dad served his full two years. They didn't know. And if, dad hurt his knee on his mission. Yeah. And he, he, and stayed, he stayed, stayed. And like so, so dad, you know, he understood that I was frustrated and he understood that I was upset but he never he didn't understand that feeling of having to come home early and I think um with you and um you remember Melody yeah she came home early my friend Brett he came home early and it took that summer with you where I'm just like you know what like Becca understands and it kind of made me feel a little bit better and then Melody came home and then I was able to be my experiences with you were on like we just went on drives, we talked, we went on walks as much as I could with my knee, but we did we just got out. We didn't sit at home, we weren't cooped up, we got out and we went out and we just talked and we talked about our frustrations. We didn't ignore it. We talked about this is stupid. I hate that this happened. <laughs> I'm I'm mad and I'm angry and I know I shouldn't be, but I need to get it off our my chest or else it's gonna eat me up inside. Yeah. We are our mother's children. Very true. <laughs> Very direct. Get everything out in the open. Yeah. And Melody was always, she was always just quieter. Um, and really, I just said, look, I've been there. I've been, I've been home early. I want, if you're okay with it, I want to come down like a Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, we can go on a walk. We can go on a drive. We can talk about it if you want. Just, I, I, I feel like it's best to get out of the house. And she allowed me to do that. Um, she allowed me to be a friend to her and she allowed me to go to, to share my experience with her so that you can help her cope. And as I look back on it, you know, I've had Dylan Gilpin come home early and I told, I, he came home and I called him right away and I said, if you need anything, I know what you're going through, call me. Yeah. And he never called, but that's fine. And Brett, the same thing. It, I know, I know what you're feeling. I know how hard it is. I know what the world may think, but I want you to understand that you did good. You answered the call. You did what you yeah. needed to do, and things just didn't work out. And if you're having a problem, call me. Um, you know, Connor and and Eric Evans, like they all came home early, and I reached out to every single one of them. I said, "You came. If you need anything, call me." And I feel like that's what I want. I realized that at school, I said I had to go through what I went through because I think other people could have done it. They, you know, they, you can just, you could have survived that. Um, you know. In all honesty, I should be dead. The way the car hit me, how, how I'm not dead or severely brain damaged, I couldn't tell you. Mm, like, very nice. <laughs> but fit the physics behind it, where you know I get hit from the side, and instead of going sideways into the car, I lay down backwards. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I never hit my head once on the ground, um, and I really escaped with quote unquote minimal damage, all things considered. 
Two surgeries later. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> the doctor told me that I was going to have to have a complete knee reconstruction and shoulder reconstruction. He's like, you're screwed. Like, you're going to have to relearn how to use your right leg. He goes, if you're right, if you're right leg dominant, you're now you're going to be left leg dominant. Like, you're going to have to learn to reuse it. And you're going to be left-handed from here on out. Like, you're going to have to re- you're learn, relearn all these mechanics. And I'm like, this is going to be hell. <laughs> Thanks and, a lot. Yeah, and I came home. They're like, oh, it's just an ACL and labor. That's easy. And I'm like, but the doctor, she's like, yeah, it's weird. I mean, how swollen your leg was, this, that, and the other. I said, oh, well, cool. Sweet. I'll Great. take it. I'll take it. And, but I feel like I, I handled that trauma, um, as well as anybody could have handled it. And I think instead of letting it sit with me, I kind of grew from it. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd like to believe that's why it happened to me was so that I can go to others and say, I, I go to new wards and I talk to bishops. When I go to new wards, I go, look, um, I'm so-and-so and this is my story. And I just want to let you know, like I came home from my mission and I've always felt that I could be some sort of light or some sort of guidance to people who come home early from their missions and if anybody does that feel free to give them my number I'll, we can go out to eat we can talk and chat and because I've been there and I know what it's like and I can have be you know share that experience with them and I feel like I feel like I and I could be wrong but I feel like I helped you in a lot of ways and I think that's where we went from not only just being siblings but our relationship grew a lot in that time frame of of just like, oh, like we just know each experience and then we spent a lot more time together and we got the deeper talk conversations and stuff like that, um, which allowed our relationship to grow that much bigger and that much stronger yeah. um, moving down the line. Um, so with that, after you got diagnosed, um, obviously there's a learning curve to it of what you can and can't do. Um, what's, what's that like handling HM now? Um, from when you first were diagnosed? Uh, I mean, it changes all the time with each pregnancy, with each postpartum period, all of my triggers and things. Uh, they all change. Mm-hmm. My auras are different now than when I first got diagnosed. My triggers are different. So it's like I'm always learning mm-hmm. new things. I'm always having to like find my new limit. Um but I have learned a lot of patience, which it doesn't seem like it, but I'm a lot more patient now. Mm-hmm. Um, with myself, especially. I'm pretty patient with other people, but with myself, I've been a lot more patient. Now, with HM, you have two boys now, Thane and Ruben. Yes. Um, blessings to our family, for sure. They're so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> um, now, being a new mom, um, having the HM and things like that one how do you manage that when you're not feeling good and you don't can't call in sick on being a mom yeah like you have to be a mom 24 7 especially with two young boys um how is that how is hm and that how do those kind of go hand in hand when you're not feeling great Mm. and you know that thing needs you like how do you manage that how do you handle that that one is a really hard one and I still struggle with it because I, Tyler and I had a long talk before we even had kids on whether or not we wanted to have kids. 
and not like HM it like you can live with the condition you know like you can have a healthy productive life right um but I told Tyler I'm like it's a really big burden to feel like you can't do things to feel like you're always going to be dependent on someone that's hard and I'm like I don't know if I want my kids to have that because you have a one in two chance like 50% chance right of getting HM and uh, so he's like Becca Heavenly Father will bless us if we have kids and if our kids have HM then there's lessons that they need to learn from having that condition much like you needed to learn something and so he knew my hesitations going into it. Like, I want to have a big family. Right. Um, and now that I've, like, come to terms with, okay, we're going to live our lives as if there's no HM, and if HM comes along, then we'll kind of deal with it. But Ruben's pregnancy destroyed me. Like, I had to quit my job. I was, like, living in bed and... Thankfully, we had Tyler's cousin living with us at the time because she was able to help uh, take care of Thane. But there is nothing more heartbreaking than listening to your baby cry for you and physically not be able to pick them up or to hold them or to comfort them. And like I'm laying in my bed and my door is closed and I'm just like sobbing in my bed because I can hear Thane crying and and I know he wants me and I can't do anything about it. Right. And so like a lot of negative thoughts come as you like experience that about yourself and like you never should have brought kids into this world because you can't even take care of them. Look at you like someone else is raising your child right now. And then I don't know if you know this, but I was put on an antidepressant when I was pregnant with Ruben. I'm still on it. But it like it didn't take away the migraines. But I'm able to cope with all of those feelings a lot better. Um, like I can have those thoughts, I'm like, okay, this is irrational. Like Becca, right. you're a good mom. So what? HM happens, it's hard. To listen to your baby cry, but you're a good mom. And right. let those thoughts go away. But before, I was like super depressed, super anxious all the time. Um, and it's hard. But now, post Ruben's pregnancy, we're glad that Ruben's here. The migraines have for the most part stopped. But now I'm back at work at the preschool. So if I have... Like, the other day, I was starting to get a migraine. Like, I felt one coming on. And I told my boss, and she's like, nope, just go home. Leave your boys at daycare. Just go home. Try and sleep it off, and then come get them when you feel better. And so I was able to go be dead to the world for three hours. Right. <laughs> and not feel guilty right. um, about my kid, because I know he's in a place where he has friends. and people. Yeah, he's safe. His teachers are watching out for him. Um, the baby teachers are awesome and they love Ruben. And so it's like, now it's a lot more tolerable for me because, um, like me as a preschool teacher, I try and give those kids the same love as I would my own. And I know that all of the other teachers do that as well. 
And so it's a lot easier for me to leave them um, and go take care of myself, especially now that I can get all those crazy negative thoughts out of my head. Now, with being a new mom, um, it brings new challenges, obviously. Yes. Um, you're not just, you're not a teenager anymore. You're not in a dating stage. You're not newlyweds. Like, you are now not just responsible <laughs> you're for yourself. You're a real yourself. adult now. Yeah, you're, you're a real adult. Yeah, you got two <laughs> beings that rely on you for everything. Like, they can't survive without you, right? So there's a lot of burden to it. Now, without getting into the politics of everything... Your boys are going to raise up in a world that you and I were not raised up in. Correct. Um, and as you stare down the barrel of that gun, um, as a new mom and as a mom obviously who wants the best for her kids, you and Tyler, what are your guys's? What's what's life look like for your for your boy your boys or girls? Your, you know, as you continue to have kids, what is the life that you you see for them? Um, as it continues on with mm. a world that's, you know, in shaky conditions that I think a lot of people would with everything that's going on. Um, how do you guys manage not only raising your boys the way that you want them to be raised, but raising them in a world where the world is sometimes fighting against what you're trying to teach them? Oh, Tyler and I have actually talked a lot about this. Um... I think the thing that we've decided is that we want to teach our boys, well, right now all we have is boys, but right. we want to teach our kids um, to love everyone first, like, regardless of who they are or what they choose to do, we, our first instinct is to love them. Um, that doesn't mean we have to be their best friend. That doesn't mean right. that we have to agree with everything that they do or say, but we need to show love and show kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as things like come up, like Tyler's best friend is gay. And so talking about like, how would we teach the boys about like gay marriage? Cause it's not necessarily something that we believe in. Um, but it happens in the world. So how do we teach them like our beliefs without teaching them to hate. And so, like, that's a lot of thing that Tyler and I put a lot of thought into it, and it's just goes back to that first. Love people. Mm-hmm. Love them. Um, and this is what we believe, and this is why we believe it. Um, but not everybody chooses to live that way, and that's fine. If they're being kind to you, like, you be kind to them. You should be kind first. Right, right. Um, But I think the hard part, which I'm glad the church made a little bit of a change in the way they teach. I don't know if you caught on to it, but now they teach the youth to kind of question and figure out how to get answers to the question. Yeah, I've heard that. And I think um, growing up, that wasn't necessarily the way that it was. Right. I myself was that way and so it was like I don't know I had a question and I tried to figure it out right kind of thing but now they're teaching kids how like this is what we believe so you figure out why you want to believe it mm-hmm. um, and Tyler and I teach Sunday school we teach the 16 to 18 year olds and every single class 
we tell them, our goal is to teach you about the Savior's love for you. And our second goal is to teach you how to find out for yourself. Yeah. Um, and so we always challenge them. We're like, hey, um, these, these answers are going to come from habits and from personal experiences. So what experiences are you going to have with the Savior this week? And kind of, Thane is one, you know, so right. there's like, like, there's not much that we can do, but right. when we have the opportunity, like we try and say family prayer <laughs> and we try and remind him that mom and dad love him and Heavenly Father loves him too. Um, try to be an example of the Savior when he makes mistakes because sometimes he's a poop head. Right. But the Savior loves us unconditionally, and us as parents should love him unconditionally as well. So I think the more that we try to just show them why we love the gospel and why we live the life the way we live life, I hope it encourages them to ask the questions, and I hope that Tyler and I are good enough parents to give them tools to find their own answer. I don't want them to go to church and to believe in Christ because mom says to. Right. I want them to find their own reason why. Because it doesn't, it's like therapy. If you go to therapy because of someone else, you're not going to get anything out of it. If you go to church for someone else, you're not going to get anything out of it. And so I hope that we can, that's my biggest goal as a parent. Teach them how to ask questions and find their answer that's good with everything and that can really cover everything between school religion hard topics yeah Yeah. just everyday thing well um just to kind of close it up um this is something that i'm doing because again this is for future generations it's for thane and it's for thane's kids and and thane's grandkids whatever it is i want it to be a generational thing that everyone can look back on now, as of, what's today? November 30th, 2022. It's not November, it's October. October 30th. <laughs> October 30th, 2020. 22. 20. <sighs> Please don't take us back to COVID. 2022. There's no COVID. It doesn't exist. That's a joke. Podcast <laughs> for another time. Podcast for another time. What does Becca Stout, what is life advice to give to future generations? If you had one thing to say um, to make sure you live your life to the fullest or that you get the most out of your life, what would be one advice that you give future generations? That was a hard one. Um, I think that it's okay to put yourself first. Um, I think sometimes growing up in our family, it was put your family first. Family comes first. Family comes before everything. When you make decisions, is that best for your family? Which is a great concept until you get to be an adult and you're trying to figure out what you want as an individual. What do you want to go to school for? What do you want to contribute to society? Um, It can be hard if you've never put yourself first. Now, that's not to say be selfish and don't care about other people, but... You need to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. 
And so you need to find out how to be happy and how to be productive on your own before you can make choices for someone like for someone else's well-being. Um, I learned that being married um, because I was always trying to help Tyler with things and and put him first. And he's like, Becca, I love you and appreciate you for doing that. But when's the last time that you were able to take a nap or you were able to read a book or something that fills your well? Like, when was the last time you were able to do anything? Like, I'm like, well, I'm supposed to put you first because it's family first. You're supposed to take care of the other person. And he's like, that's fine. But if you have nothing left to give, then are you really giving that much? And that kind of like, sometimes Tyler is like deep. And I'm just like, dang, that hit me hard. And so I think my advice would be put yourself first. Take care of yourself. Fill your well so that you can take care of others. And I think that is a very Christ-like thing to do. I had someone tell me, well, you should serve others before you serve yourself. And I'm like, um, I'm fairly confident that Jesus did everything in his power to strengthen himself so he could Shrink help him. others. Yeah. Um, and, like, I just don't see Jesus as someone who would, like, put himself off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make you selfish to take care of yourself, yeah. to fill your well. And I think that was one thing that I had to learn. And I hope other people even in today's society, can learn that. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself. You have to fill your well before you can help, everybody else. help everyone else. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, well, thank you for doing this. Again, I appreciate it. Um, I imagine I want to do one with you and Tyler together. Oh. Um, so you guys can... And <laughs> I'm sure that just, would be fun. <laughs> yeah, and we can just chit-chat. It doesn't have to be anything <laughs> too crazy, but um, I'm going to come keep coming back to you guys because... We've got stories on stories on stories, and we get new stories every day, especially with you having the boys. I'm sure Tyler's perspective on our childhood stories would be so comical. So hilarious. I would Sometimes he see... looks at me and he's like, you did not <laughs> just say that. Your mom did not just do that. Yeah, that's great. And I'm like, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> she did. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate it. Um, we'll keep doing this. We'll, we'll keep making more and sharing stories for... The world to hear. That so. sounds good. Okay. I love you, sis. Love you, too. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm.